Hello and welcome to What We've Learned, a podcast where we discuss what we've learned. My name is Steve Kemish and as ever I'm joined by Shane Redding. Hello Shane. Hi Steve. Hello. So we're going to kick off with technology trends this week and we're going to start this very week with the MarTech 8000. Now for those of you that are uninitiated on that, it wasn't always the MarTech 8000. In fact, it only became the MarTech 8000 this week. Previous to that, the MarTech 5000. But if I rewind slightly, what that tracks is marketing technology and has done so since about 2011, when roughly there are about 150 technologies that marketeers could spend their hard-earned cash on to help improve their marketing. Since 2011, that's grown exponentially. And about 2017, it became known as the MarTech 5000. There were roughly 5,000 technologies. So we've grown from 150 to 5,000. And as the name suggests, and it was published this very week at a virtual digital conference, the MarTech 8000. So we as marketeers and our community have now got a hell of a menu in front of us. In fact, 8,000 possible technologies for us to use wisely or not. If you don't and you're not familiar with it, you can find more on martech5000.com, but you'd be better off listening to my old friend and colleague, Shane Redding, who's going to talk to us about some of the trends. So Shane, you, very pertinent for you. You've been uh, at and moderating a different a conference, which we'll come back to later, but marketing technology has been the center point of that. So on that MarTech 8000, what are the, the key trends for us to, to start to kick around? Well, I think the thing is for me is that I've lived through this, all of it, as have you, Steve, you know, from the very beginning, um, from the, the couple of hundred and CRM technologies to where we are now um, with the 8000. And I think one of the things that's changed for me is the 8000 or 8000 solutions. It's not 8000 vendors. Mm. Um, so, you know, huge landscape. Um, people are now starting to talk about it as a map. The interesting thing to me this year, which I really applaud Scott Brinker for doing, is that it's the first time that it's been crowdsourced. So in effect, if you are a MarTech vendor, you self-submit. Um, so obviously that's encouraged a lot of the startups. I think I haven't analysed it yet in detail because, as you said, only come out this week. I think we'll find a lot of very, very small um, companies on there for the first time. But the great news is I always talk about this, you know, and what's the point <laughs> almost uh, apart from it's a very big picture. It's a, it's a nice visual, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it has nice to have some visual. substance to it as well. Yeah. And the, the good thing is this year for the first time, it's now interactive. So you can now actually go into uh, the, the landscape or the map and choose a segment, which could be content, data, social. Look at all the providers in that and then click into them where they have provided more detail. So if you like, it's your biggest ever long list of all the MarTech that you could ever buy and now you can actually go in and interrogate it. Okay that's interesting so because previously it's been a, a fairly static image file that you can just see a bunch of logos. Um, good point around that mapping as well that they're starting to to segment it out so you can see these relationships. Um, has it changed much from what we've seen are we talking lots of new subsections of technology here or are we talking more vendors coming into existing spaces? So if I'm a marketer listening in, is there a, another new area of technology for me to think about or is it just an increase in the providers in in the core spaces that have been around for a few years? Both. 
Oh, it's a right. great question. And so um, to explain that, there are uh, 1,575 new solutions, apparently. Which is good for uh, our stat fans, Shane. <laughs> it is. I like the stats. I like data. And actually, talking of data, data as a segment within the MarTech stack is the one that's grown the most. Interesting. Okay. All right. And that plays back actually themes we've been talking about on this podcast previously and, and outside of this podcast with others is how important data is. If if we've got this very, very recent acceleration into digital because of the environment we sit with COVID-19, that's all very well, well and good. But we need that data to sit behind it to fuel um, those advances. But even the basics, CRM, I'm sure, is a, still a big sector in here. You've got to have good data to make sure that you can power some of that clever technology. Yes, and I think that point actually is one that's been picked up in the conferences, as you say, we'll come on to. But actually, if you like the core backbone, you can see very clearly um, in the MarTech landscape that actually there are core providers that mm. are now in virtually every segment. So in other words, you know, no surprise, market leaders like Salesforce, like HubSpot popping up in multiple segments as they acquire vendors. So there's obviously been loads of acquisition going on. So if you think about the fact that you know Marketo is a sub brand of Adobe, but I think they're now just leading with Adobe. So there are actually 615 logos that have disappeared since last year. Aha, uh -huh, interesting. Uh, that's a really good point because again, from the the, the, the positive of this is, is we've got a much bigger sweet shop, but the, but the headache is where do we put our money? What, what horse do we back, if you will? Uh, that, that move from those big players, the Adobe's, the IBM's, the Oracle's, et cetera, as you said, means that they can offer that one-stop shop. Just from your experience, from a consulting point of view, because I know you spend a lot of time helping organizations uh, assess and evaluate and make selections. Is there, a, is there a binary, it's much better to buy from the same provider, so one of those big boys, or to try and mix and match your selection? Any thoughts on that? I think you've you've actually nailed what came across this week to me as one of the core themes that everybody's talking about is exactly that question. And I think where we are now with that evolution is there's a there's a real understanding. And it, I think you said it very a long time ago about our obsession with shiny new things. There's a real understanding that actually it's about what? Adam Sharp from Clever Touch termed last year and returned to this year at the Get Stacked conference, your spine, being really clear on what MarTech you need to run through the funnel from the very top to the very bottom. And interesting enough, another growth area is actually more at the bottom of the funnel. And we've talked about it before with sales enablement tool. So I think lots of people are at the point now evaluating their stack, slimming it down and actually in some cases being very brave. I'm working with companies who've had legacy systems, who've got to the point where they're so fed up with the fact that they're siloed, they're not working, they're going actually the amount of money and time to put those right, probably easier to start again. Mm, interesting because that's a it is a hard brave decision but it's a very important one. It, it, it often from my experience particularly client side in the first half of my career um, but even now, working agency side, where we we see clients making these selections, it, it does put the fear into me that we're going to commit to to one brand and we're at the mercy of that brand, uh, which comes with positives as well. They can offer a joined up cohesive solution. They all talk to one another, or in theory they do, Shane. 
but that's the other thing with that acquisition to be aware of is if company x acquires brands a b and c they won't necessarily integrate any better than brands that are independent of one another so but you are going on that journey so if you go down one of those big boys technology routes you're not going to back out of it easily that's also something that's really important yeah i know you've seen that a lot and i think you know that commitment and investment it, it is a brave thing to do but i think there also is a big frustration around the fact that perhaps you know our knowledge when some of these tools first came out and as you and i you know we've worked with them both crm and ma over the last 10 years is that companies perhaps were too quick to customize and mm. again that's one of the themes that's come out is that the big learnings for all of us is you know customize customization is the death of integration um and you know all of those learnings now where if you're starting with a clean piece of paper which startups do you're in so much of a better place because we've got all these learnings yeah interesting i mean that's again that's not about the technology that's just about a discipline from a point of view of understanding your requirements and what you're trying to your usage case um and again back 20 years ago when i was client side trying to spec build of technologies that now exist that didn't exist back then so you mentioned ma or marketing automation we had to cobble together things 20 years ago out of outlook and mail merge and other uh, jiggery pokery but to even do that you need to just really button down your requirements which is the dull bit right shane no one gets excited about that the ooh shiny bit is that what it could allow us from the feature set but if you haven't got well the data that we talked about already that fuel but it, the requirements the understanding of what you need i guess the the negative side of five thousand going to eight thousand and who knows how many technologies next year is you've just got a bigger risk of getting it wrong if you don't really understand what you and your organization needs and what's going to help you in the environment you're in. I think that's a really interesting point and it's one that's being quite fiercely debated. I mean, I actually quite enjoy doing requirements, which is why I do what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the But not everyone does, Shane. That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But as you know, actually, what can easily happen is that you you don't do business requirements what does the business need what do your customers need you very quickly can slip into feature bingo mm. and you know being seduced and I, I, i've been in meetings where it's happened it's like you know all of a sudden and i know you have too oh well we need this well why well you know the tool can do that yes but why what's the use case and actually one of the most useful things i felt that at the gap get stacked event in over the last two days was the case studies from the likes of Atos, TMF Group, Four Point, Access Group, that real honesty about the clear vision of what they were trying to do and how technology could help it. Um, and I think that that is absolutely the core of any good transformation program. Interestingly enough, the other theme was well it's so easy to plug and play and be agile and try things and i think there's a bit of an understanding that actually we've perhaps gone too far down that path i don't know what you think well, Steve. I, I don't know where that's coming from because if i've learned anything over the years if we if it's being slightly technical the acronym api um, which is bandied around quite easily by technology providers effectively says yeah our system will talk to that system api stands for as we well know it isn't going to do it quickly um, <laughs> It, and that's the danger the hidden danger again is if you are 
trying to put technologies pipe work in if you will that your marketing automation system talks to your crm that talks to you and we can play acronym bingo here all day shane the dmp and goes through to um, your dsp and all these different technologies a marketers are not technologists so we do have to rely on help from others and b the systems don't just connect like that it's not like building a lego castle um, it is much more complicated and I think that's why your point's so good about the requirements um, and timing, I think, or time scales is really important. So buying technology that those case studies you've talked about have succeeded in the last year or so. The, the other thing that comes out from um, trend um, tracking is that a lot of companies have invested in technology. They're not even using half, maybe even uh, a quarter of its capability. And that's scandalous for me is that you must buy technology that future proofs but you need to buy technology you're going to really get the value out of because you don't want to buy something and find think about other walks of life where you might buy something that if you're a learner driver you might really fancy driving a ferrari but you are not going to be capable of getting the benefit of it let alone the insurance and all the other things that go into it so i think it's being aware as you say of what your requirements are and when are you likely to hit and use the, the features that you require um in in the in the period that you need to report on I agree. And I think, you know, I, I am a great fan of piloting and trying to, to build your business case through a pilot. And in fact, there was a great case study presented by Ash um, from Really B2B for the TMF group. And our, our self-interest here, I was the lead consultant on the original project helping. Oh, TMF that's why it won an award then, Shane. It has won an award, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just that, you know, I really admire Richard Fitzmorris, who was the CMO at the time, of saying, well, you know, I'm not going to invest in something if I don't know the return. So how can we, without having a big transformation, how can we, we test and learn and prove it? And um, that route, we are very lucky in the UK, Europe and the USA that we have these amazing agencies um, who are able to run these technologies for multiple clients, learn across different industries what works, what doesn't work. I mean, you've been there, you've done it, you've got the T-shirt, Steve, and means that clients can get going much more quickly without that whole implementation headache. Yeah, I think, you know, again, in any walk of life, you're not necessarily going to get the, the money and the commitment from, from the all singing or dancing. Plus, if we're bringing in a new technology or a new way of working, so let's say we want to introduce marketing automation to help generate new opportunities and leads, so net new business, it is a hypothesis, so, um, let alone the technology, the principle that this program will deliver good. So it absolutely makes sense to start small and scale it. You build the confidence and you learn what you didn't know, as well as you've taken that financial pressure off yourself that you've not gone to your paymasters, the board, the CFO, whoever it is for the top billing amount, um, you, you've built it in stages. And, and the analogy I always use, Shane, is a bit like learning to ski. You know, regardless of whether you've even tried to do it, most of us, if not all of us, know that the black run is not the place to start. We need to be on the nursery slopes and build up our knowledge and our confidence. And, and technology is the same. Um, start with a, a lower end technology that's going to be fit for purpose for now and look for the signs and again I, we'll come back to get stacked in a second because I really want to talk to you about what you've learned there Shane but I managed to drop into a couple of sessions where one of the cases was talking about actually you know if you're one of their bigger clients you are at the point that you need to move up if we use that skiing analogy to your next slope but what's the point of buying 
black slope level technology if you're only ever going to be on the nursery level. I think that's a fabulous analogy. And actually, yeah, I think that was Nick Mason from Turtle with really practical steps on how to go about choosing MarTech and being appropriate. And I think that's one of the things I absolutely see all the time. It's choosing the wrong size vendor for your size business. You know, you have to be honest. There are there are different sweet spots for the different technology providers. And if they're mainly around enterprise, guess what? That's where all their help, support and effort go. Um, whereas if you're a very. So that, so that means you're, you, you risk being the very small fish in a big pond in terms of the professional services, the support, the love that you might get from that vendor. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. OK. And I, funny enough, I think with my email marketing teaching hat on. It's a subject I've worked and taught over quite a long time. It's the most common piece of feedback for that technology. Uh, and I think it's very transferable is we are using a well, insert well-known technology brand, but and the technology is great, although it doesn't seem any different to the rest. Where we're being let down is account management support. We need people to help us, to guide us on what to do, which of course, if you're not that size of organization, you won't get. But, but that doesn't mean, Shane, that we should just buy the smaller vendors because of course there's risk there as well from a point of view of you know um, as you've mentioned how many of those 8,000 providers will be on there next year um, how many have disappeared because they were startups that haven't made it or have been consolidated somewhere else so that comes with a headache as well doesn't it yeah absolutely and so probably yes yeah, size is is perhaps the wrong way of putting it but more where's their market sweet spot who are they you know are they a plug and play you know are they like a hub spot where they're like their heritage they came from uh supporting small businesses so some of their their self-serve is i think amongst the best of any technology companies in the SaaS world um they are they've moved up the value chain now but as an enterprise company it's in my experience, still very difficult to deploy or to buy HubSpot um, if you've got procurement involved because HubSpot don't go through the normal procurement process. Mm. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It's it's horses for courses or skiers for different ski slopes. <laughs> nice. And actually, that reminds me of something I did hear you say at this Get Stacked, which was a really good point, Shane, around often technology companies, in fact, any supplier, will offer out case studies or reference sites. And of course, they're the ones that they've highly polished uh, and they will give you the truth in a, in a closed room. But you made a really good point about how it's fairly easy to find customers of these technology providers yourself by going around on social media and, and asking or looking and trying to find your own case studies to see whether you get a different view from an average customer rather than they're polished, ready to tell the world how great Vendor X is. Yeah, because you've got to leave, you know, sort of read beyond the vendor hype. And let's face it, you know, the MarTech vendors are amongst the best marketers in the world. I take my hats off to them. They are brilliant at it. And well, they they're also selling to a market of people that we are suckers for a good looking yes. piece of technology or a good sales pitch as well, although we ah. pretend we're not. Yeah. So on that point, I would absolutely um, look beyond the case studies, look beyond the reference sites that they give you. Go on LinkedIn, do a shout out to your community and say, has anybody got experience of working with this tool? I've found actually, you know, picking up the phone, chatting to the CMO is really important. It was a point again that was made over the last two days is that you'll get different feedback 
in an organization depending on who you're talking to so if you rely on user reviews you might get fantastic user reviews from a software tool but actually at board level they're not as happy it's not delivered on the promise so you've got different you need to talk to different people you know is it yeah. easy to use or is it the other way around you know the board no, is super, a great super happy that other way round change the one that, again the danger that the and, and adam sharp's point about being having a spine is the other side of course if you're spineless you've just picked the easy win which is i've bought the vendor that looks good on my cv or linkedin profile as the decision maker but again the user base the people that are using that technology day in day out are the ones that are pulling their hair out because it's just not fit for purpose so it's a really good point now look we've we, we've we've flirted with get stacked um, that's something that i know you've been heavily involved in in the last couple of days although in theory you should have been involved in in march let's just rewind what is get stacked jane and what have you been up to for the last couple of days so Get Stacked is the event for marketers run by B2B marketing looking at the MarTech world and the MarTech stack. And it's been a very successful physical event held every March for the last couple of years. And guess what? Come February, there was the realisation from um, Joel and the team that it wasn't going to be physical and I really admire the whole of the B2B marketing team for turning something around so quickly that should have been live, should have been held um, as a physical event, etc. venues in London into a virtual event in less than four weeks. Wow, I mean, and, and I had the fortune, <coughs> excuse me, of being to just a couple of sessions uh, yesterday, which was the day two of that. But you've been moderating a whole stream for those two days, uh, which in itself has been a fascinating experience, I'm sure. But linking, we'll come back to that, but linking back to the, the MarTech, what have been some of the interesting trends that have come out from those two days of, of Get Stacked? I think like any event or conference you go to, the 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 value of the event, there's three parts to it. And I think this is something we'll perhaps go on and talk for people who are considering how they uh, pivot their physical events to, to virtual. It's always all about the content. What am I going to learn? That's why people go. It's also about the networking and it's also about if you like benchmarking yourself. So the kickoff for me, the keynote, uh, which was delivered by Peter was really good because B2B often produces, you know, excellent reports. There's a fantastic one that I would urge everybody to download on the state of um, B2B MarTech now and some of the themes that are coming out, the fact that spend has gone up um, by the marketing department back to a point you made earlier. Yeah, well, on that particular report, what I like about it as well, uh, it's only been out a, a month, six weeks tops, I think, is it split as well. So you've got the client view and you've got the agency view. And and yes, there is crossover, but it's interesting to see where an agency landscape's view of what a priority is compared to perhaps a client side marketeer in that space. Yes, and in fact, this this additional report, which was just for the conference, interviews um, leading CMOs as well of their view of Martech and what's happening, and the themes um, that come out of that. And in fact, again, some of the case studies for me were the strongest part of the content. So we heard from Atos, already mentioned TMF Group, Four Point Access Group, brilliant presentation, um, real honest learnings, and I think that's the other thing to me. People are being very honest. They're talking about the mistakes they've made. They're talking about the things not to do and they're not dressing it up as everything's easy. Mm. And actually, 
apart from the fact that all forget whether it's a virtual or a, or a physical event the content that always goes down best is that case study but also the kind of warts of all what have we learned that if you're sitting here listening in however you're listening in you can you can take a note on to try and avoid that cul-de-sac or that danger yourself rather than it was all great and, and, and kind of masking over the learnings that the negatives that can be really helpful to, to shape other people's next steps. Yeah and as well as the case studies I think there were some very clear themes coming out aimed at how do you buy MarTech and how do you manage it and one of the, the standout sessions for me was um, Emily Gravel from VMware talking about the real need to look beyond just technology but to think about your process and your people and bringing them with you and that was a theme that came back time and time again Kelly Hungerford also uh, referenced that brilliantly from Sunstair Global yeah, well, that's a really good point. And in fact, it reminds me of the conversation we had on, on previous episode with Paul Cash around emotion and storytelling is the technology is the empty vessel. And we've talked about data, but if you haven't got the right content, the right story to tell, then the technology is just going to deliver more effectively bland, ineffective messaging. So, you know, as rightly Get Stacked was focused on the on the functional side of things, but was there much a, a, in terms of how that marries together, how human and technology must be aligned when it comes to good quality marketing? Yeah, in fact, there was a lovely session from um, Jonathan Segger from Viz Media about tech trends and content. And he made the point brilliantly that actually more than ever, with us all living in this digital world, not meeting physically, that we need to create wow. You know, whether it's at an event or um, whether you're reaching out through your email or how, on your website. And I thought that that was really interesting that, you know, what can the technology do to create that emotional engagement, whether it's sort of 360 immersive, whether it's gamification, and I know you've done VR and AR campaigns and also interactive web pages. And he showed some brilliant case studies. In fact, one of them was a, an award winner for a, a port company, of all things, Corey, um, about using... As port as in transport, Shane, or as in yeah. our tipple on a Friday afternoon? <laughs> I wish it was the tipple. No, it was the port <laughs> as in transport. Um, about how they used uh, VR to, to raise funds, basically, from investors on the other side of the world. So some, some really good examples um, to actually sort of see about creating WOW. Yeah, it's a fine line, actually. Um, we, as you said, we've used VR quite a few times with clients over the last couple of years. Uh, and you need the wow factor, but you don't want to just be in it for gimmick, which, funny enough, I think is back to technology selection as well. Is You can end up buying technology that's fashionable. Um, everyone else seems to be buying it. We should buy it without really, as we've talked about, doing the due diligence on the requirements and all the boring yet essential stuff. Uh, and using virtual reality, we've often found for events, it's been very good as a way to create stand out literally on your stand uh, but through dm um, you're putting virtual reality headsets in the post which may seem labor intensive and very expensive but if you're not familiar you can create something called a google um, cardboard which is a uh, almost a self-assembly virtual reality headset uh, that's passive but because pretty much everyone uh, in the developed world at least has a smartphone that's got vr capability built into it it's got a clever slot in the front that you can just use your phone to give a VR experience at very, very low cost. However, um, so that's great. It, it's it's worked very well. It's got cut through. It's got that wow factor. As I say I'm not a fan of gimmick for gimmick's sake, 
But of course, right now, Shane, you are not going to get direct mail through to people in the way that you would have done a few months ago with with the lockdown. So it's also thinking, as Jonathan talked about, and I'm sure you saw elsewhere, of the the environment we're in. So that whole mix, that maelstrom of the technology, the data, the content, and the timing and the appropriateness of it, which again, as I said, I think links back to some of the stuff that Paul Cash talked about, is you've got to have the right story to tell for, for the environment and the time you're in. Absolutely, the right story. And I think there was a really good practical session from um, Ed Novaramont from Warburg Pincus talking about growth marketing. And he just said, basically, don't forget the basics. You know, what do your customers want? Um, they might not want a shiny app. They want a callback, you know, and I think that yeah. was a really key reminder to your point with everything changing at the moment, to me, we talked about it in, in previous episodes, but what do your customers want and need now? Well, it's funny, actually. It reminds me of uh, one of the first ever lead scoring projects we worked on for a client around automation, uh, and it was across Germany, UK and Russia. Um, and what we found in, in short summary was that the lead scoring threshold, so every time somebody opens an email, clicks on a link, that sort of thing, that out of the box level for the German market was too low. Um, what by that, it was the most mature market for that company and that industry. And therefore they were less likely to be buying because they probably already got a provider. So you needed to nurture and to score them for longer. With the UK market, it was actually about right. And by that, I mean that you would then follow up that lead scoring with a sales contact that generated a lead. So you could measure it through leads off the back of timing. The most interesting bit, Shane, was the Russian market, which at the point in doing this was a growth area uh, in retail. You didn't need a score higher than zero. Uh, and basically, if you'd have put marketing technology and lots of lead scoring and content in for nurturing, you'd have completely missed the boat. And therefore, the campaign was very quickly diverted to just, and it sounds old fashioned, but it worked, which is get a list and start calling these people. They want things now. They haven't got the time and the technology would have been a disabler. Uh, from a lag from from recognizing that opportunity which I thought was fascinating learning. I think it's fascinating learning. I mean as you know I do quite a lot internationally and I think it's one of the things that we forget the world is very different um, and I think particularly at the moment so much is changing so fast so one of the the tech trends that was talked about is some of the tools that rely on um, IP for example and obviously and geolocation so things like personalization and intent well obviously with us all working at home you know IP tracking all very well um, if you're dialing in through a VPN but if you're on your normal Wi-Fi at home with a floating IP you know some of the intent tracking and things is just not going to be working at the moment, not going to be picking you up. Um, so I think that's fascinating. I think the other things like remembering we were on a virtual conference and we haven't talked about that experience yet, but that, you know, people's speeds are different. So their experience of the conference, um, completely different back to your point, you know, what's if somebody's watching from Russia, um, what's their access speed like over over the Internet? Yeah, well, there's loads of good points in there, Shane. I think my that the UK, Germany, Russia example absolutely could be a geography thing. But given the environment and how what we're seeing with some uh, clients just talking, you and I out there in the world is that certain industries. So forget the geography. If you're a UK centred organisation listening to this, industries, industry by industry, it's changing. So that threshold can still apply to a very small geograph geographical proximity. That industry that previously were taking a long time to make decisions 
And I'm thinking of particularly in space, again, if I put my hat on for one of our technology clients in, in retail, certain parts of retail around grocery and hardware and sporting equipment are booming and therefore they are desperate to buy but far more rapidly than they would, whereas others are in, in regression. You know, the, the, the clothing, the traditional retailers around homeware, et cetera, it, it's a real struggle. So I think you've got to have that agility and, and nimble thinking to use these technologies and to adapt to the environment. Absolutely. And I think, you know, actually, that brings us on to sort of the last point about there are lots of people at the moment who are looking for virtual event software um, to, you know. Yeah. So tell us about that, Shane, because it strikes me from from what I observed and you were far closer to it. It's the first time I've seen an event and we're not talking Zoom here. So this is beyond Zoom for me. I think we've all collectively got our heads around conducting meetings um, via Zoom or whatever the technology is, and Zoom's almost become the new Google. Um, in terms of Google is a verb as well as a search engine, to Zoom is also now a verb as well as a platform. That I feel sorry for the for the for the also rans, the WebExes of this world that equally offer good technology. But but we're talking here recreating a conference. So you've got Expo, you've got breakout sessions, you've got networking. How was that as an experience, and, and what's useful for people that might have to tackle that themselves in the coming days or weeks? I think um, that B2B marketing did a lot of research in terms of the platform that would try and recreate as closely as possible their physical event, which is always known for all of the events they run for fantastic networking and a really good, delicate experience. Um, and you'll make that point really well. It is, it's not a webinar. It, it's, it's not a Zoom. It, it goes well beyond that. So the functionality allowed you to um, network very easily. There was something called chat roulette, which was um, hilarious, actually. So basically, yeah, well, was... yeah, for anyone that's, uh, and I remember chat roulette, Shane, from original chat roulette. If you do Google chat roulette, be Blimming careful because uh, chat roulette was a is a I think it was developed by a Russian teenager many years ago is a great concept in chatroulette.com but now it is polluted by people you really don't want to meet on on a roulette wheel but top, the principle of that is wrapped but in in this platform and the platform was what's the, the technology we're dealing with here that they, they selected so they selected Hopin which is Hopin. in fact Hopin interestingly enough is a UK um, well-funded startup in this area Interesting. So Hopin have got, for just as a disclaimer, to, as a parent and a responsible adult, for anyone that Googles chat roulette, don't Google chat roulette, <laughs> go and have a look at Hopin. And what they've developed, as you said, is effectively a kind of random meetup. So if I hit into the networking button, it will just connect me with somebody uh, who else is in that conference that wants to chat as well. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a little cleverer than that. They'll have looked at your interest to, to do that sort of speed dating, really. Yeah, but, um, but that for me, Shane, is a really interesting improvement on uh, the physical world, because actually there are, and I'm sure it's probably Pareto's law here, a small number of people that are good networkers that will work a room and will quite happily go over and chat to somebody they've never met before. And I, I put you, Shane, as exemplar at that. You're great at connecting and networking. But many of us, and I put myself in the other pot, find it a bit awkward. So this technology takes that way. Is actually, if you press the button, the, the hard work of saying hello to somebody you don't know is the technology does that for you. Yeah, I agree. And actually, you know, it's nice you say, you know, good at networking, 
but the the tendency is you go to an event where you're well known and you just spend all your time with people you already know so yeah, yeah. i agree i think you know that functionality um breaking down barriers is very helpful it was very easy to network through the chat function you could connect directly with people and also the engagement i think what i really liked it was much more um as a moderator, possible to to take questions from the audience really quickly because I know you do loads of speaking and you and, uh, and you do it extremely well where you're dual devicing and you're you're maybe you've got your um, you know you've got one device open on the stage where you're taking you're taking a chat stream from another technology uh, on a real stage, but this actually made that just integrated and super easy. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a real headache and a real challenge in, in the physical world is trying to keep an eye on if you've got comments coming in, particularly if you've if let people uh, via a Twitter wall or something like that. Uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening in will be familiar with this now with Zoom and those platforms is that you've got chats going on whilst you're trying to hold a meeting or if you're trying to present something. So it, it, it certainly seems to have ticked those boxes. Um, it did, just, but I think there was another lesson there, and I think you mentioned it sort of almost we go to events where there's this massive Twitter streams and you do need moderators. And one of the things, again, that you've you've got to really clearly signpost if you're going to use these tools, you know, it's almost chat etiquette so explaining to delegates you know if you want to say um, that you're enjoying the sunshine down in Cornwall to your mates then you do that in the direct messaging not in the open uh, chat stream that everybody's seeing for the leaders you know that are providing the keynote so I think you need quite nice but it's clear balance, isn't it, I guess because yeah. you want to have that you want to inject some kind of community and social but yeah it's if you and I were chatting about what we're gonna do at the weekend and listening in at a physical event we wouldn't do it at a volume that the rest of the room were hearing it, that's what you mean is, is trying to think about the appropriateness of what you're trying to communicate and say yeah and the organizers need to to have really clear signposting on that and again they did they did a really good job on it but it's because we're all learning about using the new tool. Yeah. That was what struck me is it's it's an education thing as well is that they're very brave from a point of view of, of using that platform and using it well from what I experienced as a delegate yesterday it, it's it's new to a lot of us so over time as more events I suspect and that's why it struck us as a really interesting thing to talk about your experience with this Shane is that a lot of people are going to have to wrestle with how do we put our conference or our event whether that's external or internal together and, and this may well be a, a blueprint for moving forward absolutely and unlike any event you know people who who run masses events enormous amounts of planning and preparation going i mean this was done in an incredibly tight um time scale yeah, but weeks, that, you said, I think. weeks but you know still the importance of rehearsing that the trying the tech um and i think they'll be very honest that that you know there were a few things at the last minute which were like oh this isn't quite what we hope but that the, the the preparation and planning is absolutely key and I think also we've got to bear in mind as we go through this and we all get more used to it you're going to have to sort of really engage the audience in different ways because it was fairly sort of I suppose standard presentation slides and speaker from their own rooms but I think 
the ante is going to have to go up with things like, you know, more fast paced, diff trying different things, you know, maybe very short, sharp, maybe more co-creation with the audience. Let's face it, the audience are all on. They're all streaming. You know, how do you engage them? Is it through gamification or so? I think we're going to see lots of experimentation. Are we going to see more like TED Talks, which you switch to video? Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it actually, it rounds the circle very neatly, Shane, is that what you've just described is it's not about the technology. The technology is there, whether it's on a tracker of 8000 or whether it's technology like hop on to, to, to create this event that you just mentioned. It's what you do with that technology. So, again, the reminder and perhaps the point to, to leave it on today is go and have a look at these technologies. But before you do that, think about how you're going to use it. Uh, who it's for and the content and the fuel that goes within that to make the best possible experience. I think that's great advice, Steve, particularly for if you're going to spend money on sponsoring this. I think it's the sponsors that are going to have to work hardest to make their virtual booths work. And um, a real shout out to Integrate at Get Stacked, who did a fabulous job. Um, and in fact, all the, all the sponsors did um, on trying new things to involve the audience. So I think it's it's there that uh, we're going to see the innovation. Good. OK, thank you, Shane. And on that subject of involving the audience, thank you for listening to us. Um, that's the end of this episode. But if you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us. What we've learned is available at www.lpodcast.co.uk. Equally, you can find Shane and I on LinkedIn and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you as our audience. Thoughts, questions or indeed, if you want to get involved, if you'd like to come and share your story on what we've talked about today or in previous episodes or indeed you've got a new idea, we'd love to hear from you. So we'll leave it at that, Shane. Thank you so much. We'll speak to you in a week. And thanks, everybody else. Stay well.